May we turn in the New Testament to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Since our Lord has been pleased to remove from us and from our ministry together uh, Evangelist Harvey Springer and the whole Christian world will be uh, sorrowing in his loss and all of us will be turning our thoughts to these matters specifically. I have felt led to turn to this 21st chapter of Revelation today and bring you a message on these matters that concern a new heavens and a new earth, these matters that concern what the Bible calls passing away, and that we might uh, renew our faith and rejoice in our hope and find the blessed comfort which the scriptures abound in for our souls and for our pilgrimage. And after I heard the story of how Dr. Springer uh, in God's good providence was taken. He was kicked by the colt and, and then as they took him down the mountain to get some relief and some aid that his pain became so severe that he cried out, he just couldn't stand it, he cried out that they'd do something to relieve him of the pain and he asked for that they give him something to put him out and then we know that he never regained consciousness again. I thought of this passage here, and there shall be no more pain. There shall be no more pain. We know that there shall be no more death, but in these areas, especially sometime when we get near the door of death, the pain is exceedingly unbearable. And our medical world has been devising all manner of ways in which to relieve us and to relax us in moments of that kind. Uh, this passage says there shall be no more pain. And though Springer did not realize it, he knew that, he did not know that when he was asking for relief, relief from this pain, that that meant that he would be journeying into the presence of the Lord, that he would be on his way. And he now has arrived in that place where there will be no pain, where there will never be any pain again to afflict us or to burden our bodies. And as we think of the marvelous realities of our Christian faith and all that the Lord has given us, this passage in the book of Revelation uses that little phrase that we so frequently unconsciously used. We say that Mr. So-and-so passed away. Uh, we come with the word, well, he passed away. And when we use those words, we neglect or we forget to remember that these are the words that the scripture gives us. For the former things are passed away. And then he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And these are precious biblical expressions to 
remind us that that moment is coming when the Lord shall summon us and we then shall leave uh, this place. And in this 21st chapter of Revelation, we have the ultimate picture, the final eternal state as God has ordained it and planned it for us all. It is a new heavens and a new earth. And in that new heavens and in that new earth, there will be righteousness. And then he describes for us this holy city which is related to this new earth. And he goes into great detail. He says it's the city of God. It's the new Jerusalem. It's coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. The city of God. And then after he tells us that, he says that God is going to dwell with us. Behold, he says in verse 3, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be their God. And when we get a new heavens and a new earth and a holy city and the tabernacling of God among his people, he says in, in, in that day everything will have changed, everything will be new, everything will have passed away, and he says... Uh, God will make sure that never again will we shed a tear. And God will make sure that never again will there ever be any evidence of death around. Never again will there ever be any occasion for anybody to be sorrowful or to be a heavy heart. And never again will we ever hear the wail or the cry of someone in need. And never, never again Will we feel the racking, excruciating experience of unbearable pain? These things will have passed away. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Behold, he says, I make all things new. And after we have this magnificent description... We turn down to the verse 8 and we have but, but, tremendous break, a tremendous interruption in this magnificent picture. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and whoremongers and murderers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And here on one side he pictures for us the final abode of the redeemed, a new heavens, a new earth. It's all to be renovated and restored. And God says, I make all things new, and he is going to come and tabernacle with us. The fellowship that he had with our first parents in the Garden of Eden before sin entered and they fell and were excluded, that will now be restored. And all of this glory which is to come to those who are the redeemed. And then he says, but on this other side, here is the lake of fire. Here's the lake of judgment. Here's the lake of punishment. And he says, the liars and the murderers and the sorcerers and the whoremongers and the abominable, and the unbelieving, and the fearful. 
they shall have their part in that place. In the place that's described here in all of its glory, we will find the fellowship of the Father with the believers and with those who have been redeemed. But on the other side, those who are wicked and unbelieving, they shall have their place and they shall have their part. Now as I unfold this for you, I think I must explain to you very, very beautifully. Heaven is a place. It's a place. Furthermore, when you get to this final consummation and you have a new heavens and you have a new earth, this earth is still going to be here. It's going to be a place too. And we are confronted now with this glorious realization that when we leave our present abode, we dwell here on this earth and we're creatures of it, we're of the dust and we return to it, our bodies aren't adapted to live on the moon or to go to Mars, they're designed to be associated with this present order in which we find ourselves. But the day is coming now when we're called upon to take leave of this place and we go to a place which the Bible calls heaven. And heaven is a place. Our Savior said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has prepared this place. He's the one who especially dwells in this place. And he is the one who is there to receive us into our heavenly home. Oh, beloved, today on every hand we don't hear these things and heaven is no longer a place. It's beautiful figurative language. It's symbolic of some ideals or something of that sort. But just as you have lived here and are living in this place, when the time comes for us to take leave, we move yonder into that place which the Lord has prepared for them that love him. And it's this promise and this assurance which comes to each one of us in hours like this and in the time of our serious meditation upon our own estate and upon our own journey and upon the possibility of its termination and its coming to an end here where we now dwell. And when we leave this place, we go to another place which the Bible calls heaven. Now the dispensations of God's providence concerning each one of us as to the time and the nature of our departure, that is in his hands. That is something that you and I cannot in any way determine. In fact, we are not to determine. Because life belongs to God and not us. And since it is in his keeping, it is not in our province in any way to touch it. We must leave all such decisions to the purpose and the providence of Almighty God. A horse kicked Springer in the stomach. Of all the things. And that started the processes which brought the end of his life. 
And you can sit here and you can rationalize it all you want to. And you can say, why was Springer following around with the horses? He loved horses. He broke coats. He knew how to handle them. He'd done it thousands and thousands of times, I'm sure. You say, well, that's, that's a strange thing. Yes, but that's the providence of God. And the decrees of God are made known in the works of providence. And when they take place, we bow in the presence of them and we say, Lord, thou hast spoken in thy providence and we recognize it and we know that thou hast entered in in these matters for thine own eternal purposes. We ask the same questions when you have a clash. We ask the same questions when accidents occur. We ask the same questions over and over again in our own experience with this or with that. We're constantly asking them. But we must remember, beloved, there's a God who knows the end from the beginning. There's a Lord who gives and a Lord who takes away. And there's a Lord who is the Lord of life and the Lord of death. And in these blessed realities, you and I walk and you and I live and you and I bow in submission to the hand of God. And it is this recognition on our part in any experience that comes when it's removed beyond the realm where we can do anything in any way, we commit it to the Lord and we say, Lord, thy perfect will be done in our lives. My God is good. My God knows everything. My God is perfect. He's without sin. My God is almighty. And this is the God in whose hands our affairs rest. And we would have them there. This is the Lord in whom we live and we move and we have our being. And this is the Lord who's given us his word to guide us that we might honor his name and serve him here upon the face of the earth. And this is the Lord to whom each one of us look in our, in our devotions. And this is the Lord who hath lifted us up and brought us to the place where we now find ourselves. And this is the Lord who is the Lord God of all flesh. And this is the Lord the God who gave to us his only begotten son. Now as I think about the ministry of this beloved brother, there's one thing that I'm certainly persuaded of and I want to emphasize it especially to our young men who are hearing us. Dr. Springer believed that the Lord called him to preach. He believed that the Lord had called him to this. In fact, I don't know of any man anywhere that's a real preacher that doesn't believe that. I don't know of any man anywhere that's out giving his life and he's not interested in the commercial and the profit industry of life. He's giving his life and all that he has to the advance of the gospel. I don't know of any man who's, who's devoted to that. He won't tell you that he's in this task because he feels that the Lord has called him to it. And Evangelist Harvey Springer had a very great and high feeling of the fact that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus and that this blessed book was all he needed in order to proclaim the message of God and to bring precious souls into the kingdom that they might come to salvation. Will you turn with me over to the first chapter of Jeremiah? I've been preaching from it, but in the first chapter of Jeremiah, the prophet there tells us of his experience. And it's a blessed one indeed. 
And he says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, This is verse 4, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And beloved, we are praying today, and we will pray as we have prayed in the past, that God will speak to these young men, and these young women, and they will hear the call to give their lives to the proclamation of the message, the words that I give thee, and the commandments that I give thee, thou shalt hearken unto them and obey me. Last night, down at the Christian Admiral, one of the guests came in from Washington, D.C., and she heard the word that God had taken this great evangelist from us. And she said, I received a letter from Dr. Springer today. And she says, I thought you would be interested in it. And I said, well, yes, I would. And so she handed it to me, and it was the last letter that Springer has sent out for an appeal for funds. He was a great letter writer. In fact, I think maybe that's where I learned to write the kind of letters I write when you make these appeals for to reach the hearts of the people. And she unfolded it and gave it to me. And uh, let me read it to you. Think of it. This is the heading. Think of it. Dearly beloved, how my heart beats with joy, real joy, wonderful joy as I write you today. Sometimes I think God is better to me than to any other preacher in all the world. Think of it. Mrs. Springer, Mrs. Springer and I have just celebrated our 41st anniversary. I was converted in the year 1929 and started to preach six months later. In 1932, our home was restored after three and a half years of separation. We've enjoyed the blessings of God ever since. She has been a real companion and prayer warrior right up by my side through all these many years of preaching the glorious gospel message. Thank God. For the last 30 years, the Western Voice has been received into homes all over the nation every week except for holidays. Think of it. Since 1932, the gospel message has gone out every day by means of radio. We continue to carry a daily radio broadcast. God only knows how many millions have heard our voice over radio to read our message on the printed page. I'm not exaggerating when I say we have con contacted as many as 100,000 people with the gospel in one week. Think of it. I have been pastor of one church 31 years. Literally thousands have been saved as a result of the ministry of the First Baptist Church. The Lord has given me many precious friends. Some of you have been severely tried and tested, but you have stood by when the battle was the thickest. God has blessed me so abundantly. It is no wonder my heart is bubbling over with joy. Do you understand why I praise God from whom all blessings flow? 
The Rocky Mountain Evangelistic Association has been gloriously and marvelously used through the years in its sponsorship of the Silver State Youth Camp, and that's where he was kicked. And the Silver State Home, that's his home for the aged, a very excellent home which he's developed. There is so much for which we thank God. Yes, I say the Silver State Homes, the Silver State Youth Camp, and the Western Voice are dependent upon the Western Voice family. And then he goes ahead with his blessed appeal. And as he wrote this letter, he just made a little survey back down through his life. And he says, think of it. And he said, oh, I'm so happy that I've been privileged. I've been able to do something like this because God had called him to do it. And he knew that this ministry which God was fulfilling in him was something that was indeed for the glory of God and he was dedicating it to the service of Almighty God. And God took him by the hoof of a horse out of his camp into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that he might continue with the joy that he has promised is there. Now let's meditate for just a few moments. Upon these things in Revelation 21. The first thing I believe that ought to impress us with this emphasis upon passing away, upon pain, upon death. The first thing that ought to impress every one of us. That everything we have to do with here and now is just transitory. It's just temporary. It's not going to abide. Oh, beloved, if we could just stop for a few moments and meditate upon the fact that when evangelist Harvey Springer went into the presence of Jesus Christ the other night at midnight... He left everything he'd ever done right here. Everything. And you're going to do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing. It's going to pass away. It's going to pass away. Why in the world then do we put such emphasis upon them? Why in the world do we fight over these things sometimes like we do? Why in the world don't we look at things in their proper perspective and devote our energies and our strength and the means that God has given us to the eternal realities? What should it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And what should a man give in exchange for his soul? Oh, what our Savior was talking about when he says, Don't lay up yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do this thing. Moths and rust will corrupt. The thieves will break through and they'll steal. And the robbers will come and they'll gather them. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where these things that destroy will not have uh, uh, access to them in any way to affect them. And everything that we do from the time we come into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, all our fields of endeavor, everything that we're engaged in should be to the end that we are dealing with the eternal and with that which will abide and with that which will indeed bring glory to Almighty God. The next thing you think of as you look at this beautiful passage. 
And the Lord tells us that he's going to take charge. I will come and abide. I will make these things new. I will make my abode with you. The next thing that you see as you look at this marvelous passage is that God is moving in to take complete charge. God is moving in to with the power that's necessary to give us a new heaven and to give us a new earth. You know, today as we're reaching for the moon and they've come back now with some pictures and first they didn't know whether we could walk on it or whether it was thick of dust and how many inches and feet there were. Now they finally decided that maybe uh, man can stand on the moon when we get up there. And uh, they've decided it's just an old gray sort of dirt or gray surface of some sort. But just stop and think of the moon. And then you've got Jupiter out here and you've got Mars. And we made a little trip up there and found out what anybody up there. And, and here they are, apparently uninhabited, just dead out there reflecting their light like the moon is. And here we are in this one here where there's life and where God has ordained that man should dwell. And beloved, can you begin to imagine what the Lord is going to do with Mars and Jupiter and Venus and the other members of our immediate solar system when he gets through making them over into a new heaven? Can you begin to imagine just a moment what he's going to do? Just, just take our earth alone. Just wait till he gets through with this. It says we're going to have no more sea. Apparently... He's going to eliminate the sea so it won't be bothered with any problems of any kind there. And the earth will then be inhabited in such a way that we won't be dependent upon the things that we're needed now. As we know we won't because we'll have new bodies and they won't be subject to the same demands and needs that our bodies presently are. But when he gets finished fixing over this earth and he puts the holy city here. And then we reach out into the great expanse of the whole universe. And he takes out of it the scars and the consequences and the mar that sin has pronounced upon this old world. I'm convinced when the day of resurrection comes and you and I have access to the divine recordings and we can turn back to the catalog of how God did all these things, I think we're all going to be utterly amazed and surprised because the knowledge of man will be so foolish and man was so mistaken in all his darkness, in all of his ignorance, we're going to be utterly amazed at the way and the times in which God did these things and brought this desolation and this judgment upon nature. All these days are just before us, a new heavens and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness. And then that great and beautiful city, which is called the city of God, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And you know, we're fundamentalists. They make fun of us because they say we're literalists. We believe in a literal earth and we think it's literally going to be cleaned up and made into a new earth. And we believe in a heaven and we know there's a literal place where we go. And then here's this beautiful holy city and I see no reason why I shouldn't accept the description of the holy city in Revelation just as I accept the description of the tabernacle or the temple that you have over there in Leviticus and in Numbers. There's a description of how God planned it in those days. Here's a script description of how he's planned it for the future. And if that one was true and if it was carried out according to the pattern of that section, I see no reason why I shouldn't accept the pattern of this section. And we talk about a city which will have foundations whose builder and whose maker is God. This holy city 
and there will be, be no need of the light of the moon or of the sun in that city for the Lamb will be the light of that city and into it will be gathered the nations of the world that are giving their obedience and will be giving their faith in recognition of this blessed Son. Beloved, I hath not seen and ear hath not heard and neither hath it entered into the mind of man the things which God has unfolded in this blessed book that tells us of what he's going to do for us in the ages that are before us. And the great abiding question which you face and which I face and which every one of us must face is, are we going to be in that hour? Are we going to be in that city? Are we going to have access to this great fellowship with the living God? Or will we be over here on the side of the unbelieving, the fearful and the abominable and those who are spoken of here in this book of Revelation? God has taken the creation in his care. God has brought the redemptive power of his grace into this great realm. And as this present age passes away, you pass away, I pass away, and the things that we see pass away, they're all just little incidents leading up to that glorious moment when he shall take things in hands and by his power he shall raise the dead and then his prophecies will be fulfilled as they're outlined in the Bible and he will give us a dwelling place among the redeemed in heaven and on earth. These things are before us. These things are in our eyes. These things shine in the hope that belongs to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a word in this text that's bothered me all through these years. I've read it and read it. But the fearful. Why did he put the word fearful there first? Would you tell me that? The next word, look at verse 8. The next word is the unbelieving. I understand that. And I can understand the abominable. And I can understand the murderers. And I can understand the whoremongers. And I can understand all these other things that are described. But why did he put the word fearful? The fearful, the fearful. Why is that the first word when he says, but the fearful? Why is that there? And why is that faith first? I think I have the answer. I think I see it. I see it. I saw it last night. As I was thinking. It runs into this picture so beautiful. Pain you can get rid of. Death it's going to be all changed. Fearful. The fearful. In Hebrews the apostle says that those who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject to bondage. Ecclesiastes, the gray-haired man, fears are in the way. Fear, fear, fear. And beloved, fear is something that God wants you and I to get rid of. He wants you and I to eliminate from our lives and from our service. And this fear is related to unbelief, just like whoremongering is related to unbelief, just like all these other things are related to unbelief. But beloved, perfect love 
casteth out all fear. And having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one thing that the Christian should have from the moment he is born again, the one thing that you ought to have is peace in your heart. And you have no fear. I don't fear what a day may bring forth. We're going to have problems. We're going to have troubles. We're going to have all sorts of things. But there's no problem that I can get involved in that the Lord can't get me out of. And this fear that men have, this awful fear that seems to accompany them, God doesn't want you to live in fear. I know some Christians that live the most miserable lives because they're afraid something's going to happen and then it never happens. You dear people that cross your bridges before you get there, the bridges never arrive. We live in fear. We're constantly living in fear. Get out of it. Let the liberating power of the gospel which has given you peace with God. And if God Almighty has delivered us from death, He can deliver us from all the snares that entice fear. And He can do it. And let's be a people of peace in our souls. Let's be a people who know that God has a way out. That God has a solution. That God has a deliverance. Let's be a people who believe these things. And then you'll walk in liberty and you'll walk in courage and you'll walk in comfort and you'll walk with great joy. Springer had it. You know, Springer wasn't afraid of anybody. He wasn't afraid of anybody. It makes no difference who came down the road. No matter what it was, bring it, I wasn't afraid of My, how it liberates you. The fearful, the fearful. And then think of these people all over the world who in the darkness that they abide in, they fear this thing called death and they're afraid to have the door open for fear of what might jump out on them. They're afraid to go into that door of death. No, beloved, the believer knows that when that door opens, the first face that you will behold will be Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's this faith, it's this truth that takes away from us fear. And we walk at liberty and we walk in great delight. Oh, beloved, I've had some very interesting experiences and you do have them. I must close, but you go on these radio programs like I do so many times and we can't get these gentlemen on the other side to debate us. They're afraid of us. We're not afraid of them. Nothing to be afraid of. But somehow they're afraid. They're afraid. And you get on these programs and you answer these questions and open these things up and then people come and they're, they're, they get afraid of you. They're just afraid. I see it. I'm aware of it all the time. You run into it. Why is it that we're not afraid and why is it they have this fear? Well, it's the difference between what's in your heart. It's the difference between your, your attitude toward reality and your attitude toward the one who's going to help you and the one who's going to be with you, the Almighty God. And the revelation tells us the fearful. It's connected with your unbelief. And God doesn't want you to be trembling and shaking and oh, so fearful all the time. He don't want you to live like that. No, he wants you to walk in faith. Knowing that he who hath begun a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of grace. 
And what he hath begun in you, he can complete. And he's the one who'll make the decision as to whether you die in the hospital after weeks of suffering or whether you're kicked in the stomach by a horse. He makes that decision. And he's the one who determines the way along which you shall go and whichever way that is. Whichever way that course may be in his blessed providence, you bow under his hand and you say, Lord, Thy grace is sufficient for me. For thy strength is made perfect in my weakness. Let me be a trophy of thy grace until I breathe my last breath. And then when I journey through that gate and enter into the presence of the king, I will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Oh, beloved, we're a people who have hope and we have truth and we have Jesus Christ. And this is the Christ who now comes to us in this hour to speak comfort to us and to tell us that he is in charge. He is in charge. I will make all things new. My tabernacle will be with you. And the days are just temporary. The time is just passing. And there shall be no more pain. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this message that's born out of our present sorrow. We thank thee for this hope which comes from our present faith. And we thank thee for thy word which gives it all to us. Oh, bless us today. And now make it passable for the pastor and those of us who are going to this great service in Denver to get there. Bring us back safely. And we know that our times are in thy hands and our lives are immortal until our work is finished. For Christ's sake, amen. Hymn number 321, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, and we'll sing just the first and the last verses of this one please, 321.